Good morning, guys. Y'all go ahead and have a seat, if you will. Um, glad you're here. Uh, excited to be with you this morning. Um, I want us just to take a minute, and let's just spend some time in prayer. Uh, that's just something that's on my heart. Uh, a lot going on, obviously, uh, with us, busy season. I just want us to take a minute, and as we come out of worship, and uh, let's spend a second as we prepare to hear God's word, just settling our hearts on Christ. I talked to you a lot about those four questions that we ask ourselves a lot as we read scripture. Who is God? Who am I apart from Christ? What has God done? And who have I become because of him? And when we spend a minute just centering our hearts on him and his goodness, um, for many of us even coming in and trying to rush to get to church, I know our hearts sometimes are hurried and busy. Our minds are occupied and and things like that, and even coming out of worship, sometimes we can be scattered. And so let's just take a minute and let's pray um, right where you are, and let's allow God to center our hearts on him. Father, we do praise you this morning. We thank you, God, for your goodness towards us, for the power of your presence, Lord. God, who are we that you, Lord, would be mindful of us, and yet you are? And as we are in this series called Scandalous Grace, Lord, I'm just reminded, even as I reflect on who you are and who I am apart from Jesus, the power of the cross, Jesus' death, the resurrection, gift of your spirit to bring us to life, Lord. And as we see through your grace, Lord, that you've made us the righteousness of Jesus. So, Lord, we are thankful for that, Lord. We confess, Lord, to you this morning. I, I confess to you, Lord, that so many times you don't have all of me, Lord, so easy as we try to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to crawl off of the altar. So, Lord, forgive us. And yet, Lord, in the same time as we think about our shortcomings and our failures, Lord, we think about your grace that is so big and so good. Think about your word that says we're Sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, Lord. And how is that even possible? God, your goodness knows no ends. Your mercy knows no ends. And Lord, even when our sin is new, your mercy is new every morning. And so, Lord, our hearts are lifted up to you right now. Holy Spirit, would you come and move amongst us now? in a greater way, Lord, in a greater measure, that we would be more aware of your presence, more aware 
that you are here, Lord. That even as John had the vision on the island of Patmos, he saw Jesus walking amongst the churches. Lord, you are in our midst and we thank you for that. Lord, would you do a great work in our hearts today, Lord, um, as we read about your servant Saul, Lord, and scales falling from his eyes, Lord, would you open our eyes, as Paul speaks about, would you open the eyes of our heart, enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see you more clearly, Lord. We need to see you. Our minds are busy, our hearts are hurried, Lord, right now we give you this time. Father, I think about when Jesus saw the multitude, saw the crowds, and even in his fatigue and his own tiredness, Lord, it says he had compassion on them, Lord, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Lord, thank you that you lead and guide, you come to those who are weary and you restore strength. And I pray that, Lord, for each of us here today, that our strength would be restored, that our love for you would go to another level as we see the height and depths, the length of your love for us, Lord, through your word. God, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you for who you are and what you do in our lives. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Well, we're going to continue this series, second week of this series called Scandalous Grace. Um, we're looking at the grace of God. I've told you a lot of times in the past um, that the grace of God is indeed God's unmerited favor, his unconditional love, but it's even bigger than that. And the way we've defined grace is that it's God's grace doing for us, in us, and through us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so today we're going to be looking um, at how God's grace does in us what we cannot do for ourselves, that God's unmerited favor, his unconditional love for us does in us what we cannot do for ourselves. Last week, we looked a lot at what God's grace has done for us. We looked at the Samaritans. We looked at the Apostle Paul, um, who saw up until this point. Um, we looked at the Ethiopian eunuch, and we saw how God's grace worked in each of their lives when most of us, as we looked at those um, people that we talked about last week, we would not have deemed them as worthy of God's grace. Today, we're gonna continue in the book of Acts, Acts chapter nine, and we're gonna continue looking at the life of Saul. But what I want us to see today is how powerful God's grace, his unmerited favor, his unconditional love, the power of his Holy Spirit poured out into us through the grace of God through Jesus, how powerful his grace is to work in us, to do for us, inside of us, what we cannot do for ourselves. So if you wanna turn there, uh, Acts chapter nine, we're going to read the first uh, 19 verses there. This is coming off the heels of Stephen stoning. We talked about that a little bit last week. JC talked about that the week before. How when Stephen was stoned, the church was scattered. 
Um, this man by the name of Saul, we saw last week, was going around persecuting the church. He was going around destroying literally the church. The word in uh, Greek for destroy is it, interesting. I don't talk about a lot of Greek a lot of times, but this word is very interesting because it gives us an idea of how um, horrible the things that Paul was doing is. The word literally means to tear apart. Um, another reference where this word was used in Greek was in using it as... Um, to describe a wild boar destroying a vineyard. If you can think about what a, a wild boar, how they can go in and just destroy land and destroy. This is what Paul was doing, Saul. He was doing this to the church. Um, and so this is who we're reading about when we're about to read these verses in chapter nine. A man who was very violent, a man who um, was destroying people, who was even responsible for the murder of Christians, the imprisonment of men and women. And so this is who we're reading about. And it says this in Acts 9.1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if any if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way was just how Christians were described at this point. It was the way, the way that they lived, the way they followed Jesus, followers of the way. Um, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he's going with the intent of arresting the men, women, bringing them back, imprisoning them. As he neared Damascus on the, his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. We talked about this last week, how Paul or Saul knew that um, in all of this, uh, that he was um, persecuting the people who followed the way, the people who followed Jesus. And we look at this, and we talked about this last week, how when Saul is blinded by this great light from heaven. And Jesus reveals himself to him and he asks, who are you, Lord? We talked about how the last person in the world that Saul would have wanted to find out that this voice and this light was coming from was Jesus. And we talked about this, how Saul um, would have uh, thought in that moment that he's a dead man. And yet instead of giving him death, Jesus gave him life. And I believe Saul ever got over that. So it goes on, it says, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sounds, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and lay, place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this. Ananias is like, uh-uh, I'm not doing this. This guy's gonna kill me and put me in jail, do something. He says, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who, are, who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me 
so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. We look at this, it's pretty amazing. Um, and, and I was thinking about this this week and, and how Saul in this moment has a, this great revelation of Jesus. He has this great revelation of truth. And here's the thing that I know for us today. We live in a time where knowing what is true is really hard to figure out sometimes, right? It's hard to know what's really true and what's not true. For example, last night I'm watching uh, the SEC championship. Um, yay for Bama. If you're a Florida fan, sorry. Don't like them. But anyway, um, if, if, if you're watching that game, here's the thing. How many of you watched it and almost every commercial on there was a political commercial? Anybody watch the game? You saw that? And, and I'm just like sick of it, right? I'm tired of it. But here's the funny thing about it is as they showed these commercials, you see one and it's John Ossoff. And he's talking about Kelly Loeffler and he's like, um, you know, she's just this and she's that and she's a horrible person and she's, you know, the devil. And then you get to the next, the next commercial comes on and it's Kelly Loeffler and she's talking about John Ossoff. And she's like, you know, he's a horrible person and he's the devil. And he's basically what they're saying. And then the next one is Warnock. And he's like, David Perdue was making millions and billions of dollars while you were dying from, you know, this virus. He's the devil. And then the next one is David Perdue going, you can't believe Warnock. I'm like, ah! You know, we all have our own opinion, but it's like, oh my gosh, like what's true? Then you got the whole coronavirus vaccine. Can I take it or can I not? Like if I take it, am I gonna have an arm growing out of my ear? And you mean, are, are Kim and, and Kanye, are they really breaking up? We've got all these like really serious questions that we just don't know the answer to, right? There's all this stuff going on in the world around us and, and we just don't know what's even true anymore. I don't know if there's ever been a time in my life where really discovering the truth behind anything has been more confusing and difficult. It's just challenging to even know what is true anymore. And here's the challenge for us in, in all ages, in all ages, not just in this time we live in, but in all ages, the challenge for us is this, experience shapes our truth. Experience will shape our truth. In other words, experience will shape what we believe to be true. Experience will shape what we believe to be true. The things we experience will begin to tell us what is true. For example, here's how we can easily draw conclusions from things. So when I was about five years old, we were visiting some people. I don't even remember who it was. Some people that obviously didn't mean a whole lot to me because I can't remember who they were. But anyway, we're visiting them and they had one of these wiener dogs. You know what I'm talking about? Like the dog is like this tall and this long. And, and they had this dog and, and I guess I was five, six years old maybe. And this, uh, this dog comes up and I'm just kind of minding my own business and it bit me right in the back of the leg. And I'm like, ah! You know, just traumatized forever. Not really, but it hurt. 
Now think about this. How easy would it be for me at five years old to draw this conclusion that that dog bit me, therefore all dogs bite, right? But is that true? No. Think about this. As, as, um, as a child, if your father you know, abandons you, does that mean that all, of, all fathers abandon their children? No, but would it be easy to draw that conclusion or at least to live with that in your subconscious? If your spouse is unfaithful, does that mean that every spouse is unfaithful, but is it easy for us to live with the mindset that eventually all spouses will be unfaithful? Yes. And so experience really has this power to shape what we believe to be true. And we begin to think certain things and think in certain patterns that are shaped by this world, not shaped by God's truth. And so this is something we really need to see. And I want you to understand that experience has power to shape our worldview. Experience has power to shape our worldview, what we think, what we believe. Specifically, when I speak about our worldview, I'm speaking about what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about others, and what we believe about our purpose. Experience has tremendous power to shape our worldview of God, ourselves, others, and our purpose here on earth. Tremendous power. In fact, most of our worldview, I would dare say, has been shaped in some way by the experiences we've had in life. But here's the, here's the danger in this, guys. Can experience in a broken world give us an accurate worldview of what God's intended? No. Experience in a broken world, experience in an imperfect world cannot give us an accurate worldview of God, ourselves, others, or our purpose. It's broken. It is marred. And understand this, that when experience forms our worldview, when experience forms our truth, we are living from opinion, not real truth. And opinion's not truth. Opinion can't be truth. Because what if your opinion contradicts my opinion? What makes your opinion truth and my opinion false? Do you have any greater value than I have to form truth? No. And so the challenge for us is experience shapes our truth, experience shapes our opinions, experience shapes our worldview, how we see God, how we see ourselves, how we see others, how we see our purpose. And we see this really clearly with Paul. I keep saying Paul because Saul eventually becomes Paul, Paul the Apostle Paul, who wrote um, most of the books of the New Testament, majority of the books of the New Testament. Um, and so this is why I'm saying Paul and Saul are mixing those back and forth. But when we look at Saul's conversion, Saul's revelation of Jesus, when we look at this, when we look at the life of Saul, so much of what he had known had been shaped by his experience. How he saw God, why he hated Jesus, why he hated Christians. All of these things had been shaped by his experience, what he had been taught, even what he had learned in school. You know, I think school today has the power to shape opinion or shape truth. Yes, 
what he had been taught from the time he grew up, what he thought about himself. Um, You go and read Philippians chapter three, the very beginning of that. He talks about all these things he had going for him. Um, He had always, his parents even, had followed the customs of Moses. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He followed the law. He was a rising star in Judaism. He hung his hat and his identity on all of those things until he met Jesus. We look at how he saw others, obviously. People were expendable. If they didn't line up with his way of thinking, then you know, just kill them. Just imprison them. Just do away with them. We look at his purpose. At this point, his purpose is just persecuting the church. I'm gonna stop this movement. I'm taking it upon myself to stop this movement of people who are more known by their love than anything else, but I gotta stop this. And so he's got this worldview that's been shaped by everything he's been taught, that's been shaped by all of his experience. And yet, didn't even line up with the Old Testament truth that he had. Lined up more with the traditions of his fathers than it did line up with God's truth in his word. And so we look at this and I want you to understand this. I wanna do a little example to help you understand how distorted worldviews can affect how we see everything. So for this, I need a volunteer, preferably somebody who doesn't break bones easily. So I need a volunteer. Come on up here, one of you guys, one of you guys come up. Oh, y'all, y'all, okay, y'all fight over it. I'll see who wins. I'm kidding. All right, one of y'all come on up here. Now, we're gonna set this to the side just a little bit. Maybe you guys can see. All right, now this is what I need you to do. Now, really, like, don't, don't hurt yourself because this, this could get dangerous. I'm gonna ask you if you can climb up. On, I'm kidding, don't do that. Um, but I am gonna ask you, stand right here and put these on. Put these on for me. These, these are drunk goggles. These are drunk goggles. Can you see me? How many fingers am I holding up? Four? Oh, so you're good. So have you spent much time in this condition so that this doesn't... <laughs> Eric, better handle this. All right, so this is, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you out. I want to kind of turn you. In fact, there you go. Well, whatever. All right. So anyway, this is, this is all I want you to do. I want you to kick this ball. I want you to see how far you can launch it. You really got to kick it hard. Launch it way back there. See if you can hit the camera right there for all the people who are watching online. No pressure, but there are people watching online. Okay, um, this is gonna be online. So if you really screw it up, you may be a YouTube sensation. So here you go. You ready? I'm gonna roll the ball. All you gotta do is kick it. You ready? Here we go. <laughs> whoa, don't go back there. Whoa, 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 stop. All right, you want another shot? Another chance, you got it this time. I believe you, I believe in you. You got it, here we go. One time, wait. First of all, can we just zoom in on his eyes right now? If that would be possible, I don't even know if we can do that, but if you could see his eyes, that might be the best part. All right, here we go. One more try, one more try. You ready? (laughs) Where'd it go? (laughs) All right, so you lose. I was gonna give you $100 if you kicked it, but you lost, so you don't get the $100. I'm sorry. We love you anyway, though, okay? So anyway, point of that being, how distorted our vision can be, 
how it can really mess us up, right? And, and so we need to see and understand that a worldview that is really distorted can cause us to live in ways that are really distorted. And the world today, I would say, lives very distorted because we really don't have any truth. We really don't know truth. We, we've kind of let this book with truth become archaic. We've let this book with keys to life just be outdated, right? That's what people tell us. And what's interesting, guys, if you go back and you read the gospels and the things that Jesus dealt with in his day, those are the same things we're dealing with today. And the same truth that was relevant then is still relevant today, no matter what people want to tell us. And so we need to understand that truth isn't relevant. There is a such thing as truth. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, this is our truth. And the good news for you today, and I want you to understand this, is that Jesus told us in John 8, he said, you will know the truth. If you hold to my commands, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that doesn't just mean, and this is, if this were all it meant, it would be enough. It doesn't just mean from our sin. It means from all the ways of the world, all the things that bind us, that hold us back, that keep us in bondage. The truth has the power to set us free. It has the power to reshape our worldview so that we can see clearly who Jesus is, who we are in Christ, who other people are to God, and even begin to see and understand our purpose, that it, it's probably very different than what we see our purpose as being. We look at Paul, he had this misconception of Jesus. We look at himself, he had um, been brought up with all these Jewish customs and, and, and all of this law and all these things that he was trying to do. He, he saw other people as sort of pawns in his own cosmic game of trying to, to, to press what he thought was true. You see his purpose in destroying the church. And yet in a moment, as we read this in Acts chapter nine, in a moment we see that his entire worldview begins to change, especially once Ananias lays his hands on him and he prays for him and the Holy Spirit comes into him. He begins to see differently. It even says that things like scales fell from his eyes. And think about this. When Paul, um, when, when he first met Christ, he goes blind. When those scales fell from his eyes, he never saw things the same way again. Never saw things the same way again. It's the power of grace to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves, to begin to renew our minds, to begin to open our eyes, to see clearly, to understand who God is, who we are, who others are to God and who they should be to us and to understand our purpose. And it happens in two ways. The first way this happens, and we see this with Paul, is that we have a revelation. Our eyes are open to who Jesus is, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have this revelation of Jesus. And the Bible says that when we see who Jesus is and we make a response to the grace he offers us and we say yes to salvation and say yes to follow him, then he gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then gives us a new heart. 
And we began to live a different way. We begin to have different desires. The second way this happens is as we spend time with God in his word, what begins to happen is our minds begin to be transformed. We no longer conform to the patterns of the world as Paul says in Romans 2, 12, 2. But our minds begin to be transformed. In other words, we think about God differently, ourselves differently, others differently, and our purpose differently because the word of God, the Bible says, has the power to pull down strongholds or inaccurate ways of thinking that exist in our mind. And so these things begin to be pulled down and over time, our lives are transformed because my mind is transformed. Because when my mind is transformed, I think differently. When I think differently, I make different choices. When I make different choices, then I live a different life. Because my mind is transformed, I'm being transformed. And the power of God's truth is this, guys. Listen, we're going into the holidays. We've been through a hellacious year. It's just been crazy times. And yet here's the thing I can tell you. If you want to know what truth is, it's still here. And we don't have to stand on the street corner and be like, you're going to hell if you don't live by this book, right? The truth's the truth whether we acknowledge it The truth's the truth whether anybody else acknowledges it. And the good thing about it is because the truth is unshakable, when we plant our feet on the truth, we become unshakable. Not because of who we are, but because of who God is and because he has established something so firm that we can stand on it. So that even when all hell is breaking loose around us, we are able to still stand firm. Jesus even talked about this in Matthew chapter seven. He's talking about two different people. He says this foolish person built on sand, the wind and the, 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 the water, the wind, the rain came and beat on that house and it fell. He says, but there was another builder who dug deep and he, he, he built his house on rock and it says the wind and rain and that, that it came and yet it stood firm. See, the problem for us, even as Christians, is so many times we've built our life on popular opinion and popular worldview so that when the wind and the rain comes, we fall with a great crash. We're still blown to and fro by everything around us. And yet God's given us truth that we can stand on that can transform our mind to help us see differently. I mean, think about this, guys. You, you, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've talked about Saul, kind of beat up on him a little bit, about all he had done and you know, murdering and all this stuff. But let me ask you this question. How did Paul overcome all of this? To do what he did, to become probably the greatest missionary that's ever walked the face of the earth. And I say that because this man evangelized most of the known world and he had no technology. What he evangelized, he did by by foot. He did by writing letters. He did by raising up other people to go and preach the same truth and stand for and fight for the same truth that Jesus revealed to him. And we see this. How did this man do this? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if I screw up a little bit, Condemnation almost destroys me. Anybody else like that? That condemnation just eats you alive, right? If I screw up a little bit. And yet here's this guy (laughs) that we read about and we've talked about who's putting men and women and children, who's who's, even uh, wanting to see them murdered, who, who watched Stephen be stoned to death and murdered. How did this guy overcome that? He knew the truth 
of the power of God's grace. How did he overcome so much offense against God? Jesus even said, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting my people? Here's something that ought to be encouraging. When people persecute Jesus's people, he takes offense to that and he will rise to the occasion on our defense. We don't have to do that. Jesus took offense when his people were being persecuted. But here Paul is, he's done all of this damage. How did he ever get to this place of thinking that he was right with God. He knew it wasn't based on what he did, what he could do, what he ever might do. He knew it was based on one thing, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and the life he offered because when he was put into the grave, he didn't stay there. But three days later, he walks out and that was the defeat of sin and hell and death forever. And now Jesus sits at the right hand of the father. And just as he promised, he sent back the Holy Spirit. And Galatians 4, 6 tells us this, that the spirit of God that we receive, even though we've screwed up, even though we've made mistakes, even though we are still imperfect, the spirit of God that we have received is the spirit that is in us that cries out, Abba, Father, that tells us that he is my father, even though I'm imperfect in all my ways still today, or I'm so screwed up still, maybe I'm just fighting to try to get it right. Yet the spirit of God in me says, look, I belong to him because of the grace of Jesus. Think about this. How did Paul do what he did? Um, How did he ever see himself as capable of doing anything? How could, I mean, I mean, there's so many times that I don't feel worthy of being up here, right? So many times where something happens on Friday or Saturday, and, and this is the truth. I'm like, I need to just call somebody else to preach this Sunday because I don't deserve to do it. I'm too bad. I'm too awful. I'm too simple. I, I, I don't deserve to stand up here and open the word of God and tell somebody else about it because I realize like, I, I really mess that up. How did Paul get over this? How did Paul get over this? When you know, like, listen, you know, when he laid his head on a pillow at night and he closed his eyes, there were nights that he saw Stephen's face as he was breathing his last breaths being stoned to death. Can you imagine that? How bad would that be? And when I close my eyes, I see this young man that now I know was preaching the truth and I gave consent to his murder. You know, there were nights when he laid his head on a pillow and it got quiet. And as there's, he's laying there, he could hear the screams of the men and women that he drug off and put in prison. How did he get by it? He knew the grace of God. And Paul knew how to stand on truth. Paul knew that even though in himself, he was not worthy, that because of Jesus, simply because of what Jesus had done for him and his acceptance of what Jesus had done, his following of Christ, that Jesus had done for him what he couldn't do. And here's the thing, guys, all of us have those things in our life. Some of us, when we, many nights when we close our eyes, reminded of things that maybe that's skewed our vision, of God, our vision of God, ourselves, others, or our purpose. And yet God's grace, his truth is greater. It's greater. 
How did it all change where he saw people differently? God's grace. How did it all change where he went from persecuting the church, destroying, trying to tear the church apart to building the church? Grace. I want us to finish this in 2 Corinthians chapter five. Because out of all the scriptures I read and prayed this week and looked at things, this, this passage of scripture to me helps us understand how Paul was able to live the life he lived after all that he had done. After all that he had done. Let's read, um, let's pick up in verse 14. But to give you a little background, Paul is once again in a place where he's defending his apostleship in a lot of ways, his, his position in the church and people are attacking him over it. And he tells us, one of the reasons that he continues in this, in verse 14, he says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are Therefore, God's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can you see this completely different mindset that Paul has at this point from what he had in Acts chapter nine? When we look at how he now sees God, verse 14 and 15, he even tells us that the love of Christ compels us. Listen, this is the Christ that he was trying to destroy. And now he says the love of Jesus, the love that he experienced even on the road to Damascus, the love that he experienced when Ananias laid his hands on him. He says, this love compels us. I was wrong about Jesus. Now his love compels us. He says, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised Again, in verse 16, he says, look, we once regarded Christ this way. In other words, we once regarded Christ according to the standards of this world, according to the ways of this world. He said, we, do no, we, do, we don't do that anymore. We don't do that anymore. Why? My eyes have been opened. I see who he is. He tells us that all of this good news is from God who reconciled us in Christ. He sees God completely different than he did. What about himself? How did he continue? How did he do what he did, knowing the things that he had done, knowing that he's still imperfect? He even would call himself throughout his um, life the least of the apostles. He would even say, I don't deserve to be called an apostle. And yet in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. He understood that I'm not who I was anymore. And many of you have had that same experience 
where you carried all this guilt and shame. And then once your eyes were open to the person of Jesus and you said yes to him and you began to follow Jesus, it's like in a moment that guilt and sin and shame was taken away. I know for myself that was part of my experience. All this weight of sin and shame and guilt that was on me. And when I realized who Jesus is and I said yes and I began to follow, it was like all of that stuff literally. It was like when I said yes to Jesus, it was like a line was drawn in the sand and Jesus said, look, guilt and shame and all of that, you can't pursue him anymore. I've separated him from all of this and now let him go free. We look at others, he, he recognizes that Jesus died for all, it wasn't for some. It says that from now on, we don't regard anymore, anyone any longer according to worldly point of view in verse 16. He's imploring them to be reconciled to Christ. He recognizes now that God made him who had no sin to become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. We look at the purpose in this. He says, Christ's love is what compels us to this. He even says, look, if we're in our right mind, it's, it's for God. If we're out of our mind, it's for you. He's like, look, we do all this because we are compelled by the love of Jesus. He talks about how God's given them this ministry of reconciliation. He even calls themselves ambassadors of Christ, imploring them, begging them, encouraging them, be reconciled to God through Jesus. His whole worldview mindset changed how he had a revelation of who Jesus is and the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And he understood that the truth sets us free. He understood that the word of God has the power to pull down strongholds about how we think about God, ourselves, others and our purpose. And he understood that if he built his life on truth, it was built on something unshakable. And even at night when he laid his head on a pillow and he saw the face of Stephen or he saw um, or heard the screams of the men and women who were drug off to prison, there was a greater truth, a greater truth than what he had experienced and what his experience had told him. And that truth told him, Paul, you are a new creation. I severed that from your life. Now you let that go and you move on. And we need to be doing the same thing, guys. In a world that tries to tell us what's true, in a world that tries to lead us into its own truth, we need to stand firm on God's truth. Stand firm on God's word. When the world tells you that we should be afraid of everything, there's, there's something's gonna kill you around every corner. When the world tells us that you know, the sky is falling, I have this truth that tells me that God didn't give me a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. I've got this truth that tells me that God's with me even to the end of the age. I've got this truth that tells me that even when I do breathe my last breath in this body, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I've got this truth that tells me no matter what we face today or tomorrow or next week or in 2021, I've got this truth that tells me that the best is yet to come for me because I am in Christ. I've got this truth that tells me that I'm experiencing the worst I'll ever experience while I'm here on earth. And then look, the best is still ahead of me. 
and I can stand firm on this truth. And here's the thing, guys. We can love people who don't believe our truth. One of the things that I heard JC say a lot when he first got here, um, our new student and, and college pastor, he would say this a lot, truth uh, never fears a challenge. Truth never fears a challenge. Why? Because it's truth. What challenge does it have to fear? And so we don't have to be threatened. We just stand on truth. And we can love people who even disagree with our truth, disagree with God's truth. Because truth doesn't fear a challenge. In a world where there's very little conversation, a world where it is almost impossible to love somebody who disagrees with you, what a great opportunity we have because we're not threatened. We know the truth that we can set an example of loving. We don't have to yell at people on Facebook. We don't have to tweet nasty things or send nasty things. We don't have to. Why? We've got the truth. We've got the truth. We know the truth. The truth will set us free. All we've got to do is share it. The truth will do its work. I had, and I'll finish with this, I had a young man come up to me after the 11 o'clock service last week and he's in one of the recovery houses here. He walked up with another guy who's in that same house and he was fairly new there and he comes up and he has had tears coming down his face. And he told me kind of where he was and kind of a little bit of where he was coming from and he said, I'm only on step two in AA. And in AA, you know, they teach them, you know, you need to kind of have a higher power, you know, your higher power. He looked at me and he said, I want my higher power to be the God that you talked about today. Amen. And here's the thing, guys. The gospel is still powerful. God's grace is still powerful. to change hearts and to change minds, to reveal truth that we can stand on. And so I wanna pray for us right now that we would be able to do that, that we would be able to do that. We would stand firm on truth and truth would change our hearts and our minds. Lord, thank you that you have given us something firm to stand on. It's greater than man's opinion. It's greater than what any media outlet may portray. It's greater than the political commercials we see on TV. It's greater, Lord, than, than anything we can face. It's your word, it's your truth, it's what holds us securely. So God, I pray that we would grab hold of your word, Lord, and even more so that it would grab hold of us. And God, that we would stand firm on it, that we would remind ourselves of the truth when everything else is telling us something different, that we would come back to your word, Lord. God, I pray that we would stand with the shield of faith, 
around us, trusting in your word, that, Lord, our lives truly would be held together by your truth. And that, God, we would know your word and spend enough time in your word to know your word, which you tell us is the sword of the spirit. And in our own life, we would use your word, Lord, like a sword to cut through the lies that even experience would try to teach us and that we would stand on your word. God, give us grace. Open our eyes. Give us grace that we can love. Give us grace, that spirit of self-control, Lord. Give us grace to love others. Even maybe, maybe they don't love us, Lord. Give us grace to trust you with our offenses. Give us grace, Lord, in all things. Because God, we know that when we're weak, you are strong. We know that God, your grace is sufficient in all things. And God, we need that today. I pray for each person here, Lord, that your grace today would reveal itself as strong. Your truth today would sink deeper into our hearts. Father, we love you. We, we praise your name. We worship you, God. In Jesus' name.